Uh, all right, if you've got a Bible, get to uh, Romans 12. We're going to be in Romans 12 today. My name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors, and it is good to be, de- uh, good to be together uh, this morning uh, in the Crosspoint living room. If you're new with us, love that you're here. If you've been here for years, love that you're here. We believe the Spirit of God is at work in our lives, especially as we gather and as we open our Bibles, as we sing. And so we're going to be in Romans 12. This is, uh, we, we are in a p- series called Life in Community, and this series takes us through the end of October, October 31st. October 31st, which uh, is going to be a family service. So if you're Sun Chaser parents, take note of that. Put that on your calendar. October 31st of all days is going to be a family service celebrating the Reformation. Give them all the candy you want and then enjoy shepherding their hearts in the middle of a message on the 31st. All of life is worship. We didn't just finish worship when we stopped singing. We won't begin worship when we sing later in the service. All of life is worship for the follower of Jesus, whether that be when we gather together and open our Bibles or when we walk into work this week or go to school. All of life's moments in between, all of life is worship for the believer in Christ. We are worshipers who live for the one who has saved us. We live to make much of his name, his glory. So the local church is to be a worshipful community of brothers and sisters in Christ So what does a worshipful community in the local church look like? How does it live with one another? Romans 12 will lead us well into helping us get a description of how we, the people of God, might worship well as we live life in community. The good news of Christ not only reconciles us to to the Lord, but to one another in relationship. So what unites us or brings us together is not affinity, not preferences, not marital status, what we do for a living, who we cheer for when it comes to Sundays, ethnic backgrounds, our socioeconomic levels, anything outwardly. It is something deeper, something far more eternal. It is our shared identity in Christ. It is our shared faith in the risen King of Kings, it is our common desire that we would be a people who would be about the Lord's mission and His kingdom and His purposes. In the New Testament, we are given several analogies of what the local church is like and how it should operate. And each of these metaphors, it helps us better understand what life in the church is like. And with each picture, we see some common threads. One is that Jesus is supreme in all of them. For instance, He's the chief shepherd of of the flock. He's the head of the body. He is the cornerstone of the temple. He is the vine in which the branches remain connected to. He is central, supreme. He is who unites us. He is who we are about. He is who we worship. Another theme we see in all of them is the clear idea that believers are to be united and together in community. An isolated Christian off on their own is never held up as, a, as an example in the New Testament. Never held up as, as an example that we are to follow in the Scriptures. It's a completely foreign idea to the Scriptures. Instead, what we see is that we are fellow sheep in the same flock being cared for by the same shepherd. We are, we are fellow members of the same body with Him as the head. And we all have a role to play and our role is to be active and engaged As a member of the body, we are siblings, brothers and sisters in the same family, worshiping the same Father in heaven. We are each living stones being fit together, anchored to the cornerstone of Christ, being built together as a household who will worship Him. So 
So we're primarily going to look at verses 9 through 18 in our time together. But before we get there, I want, to look, I want us to look at Romans 12, 1 and 2. Because it helps us get the context of what this chapter is about. And anytime we read the scriptures, it's important that we look at the context and not rip things out of context, but, but we actually get a better understanding of, of the scriptures when we look at the greater context that they sit in. So Romans 12, 1 and 2 says this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. So from chapters 1 through 11 in Romans, Paul has been teaching on the mercies of God. For instance, because of the mercies of God, believers can declare that in Christ there is no condemnation. That you can live according to the Spirit rather than the flesh. That you've been adopted by the Father. That even in suffering you can hope. That you've been given the Spirit who is our helper interceding for us. For those in Christ, Romans 8 reminds us that nothing can separate us from the love of the Father through Jesus Christ the Son. All because of the mercies of God and His goodness toward us. And Paul is saying in verse 1, Therefore, in view of the mercies of God that you have received, that you continue to receive, that you stand firm in, live this way. Live in light of the mercies of God that you have received. So in view of the mercies of God, he's saying don't fall back into the patterns of this world. A world that doesn't worship the King of Kings, but is enslaved to the worship of self and sin. A world that, that doesn't worship the eternal, but only for, that only lives for the earthly. Instead, the short term, in light of all this mercy, he's saying, past, present, and future, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Meaning, bring your entire being, your life, not just your physical body, but your entire life, bring it to the altar. And let your life, 24-7, all of life is worship. Let it be as worship to the one who has saved you, who has shown you mercy. This is to be our ongoing posture. This presenting of our bodies as a living sacrifice is not just a one-time action when we got saved. But this is a, a lifelong until the Lord brings us home. Every moment, every opportunity, every day saying, my life is yours, Lord. My life is yours. A life of worship to the one true God then resists and rejects conforming to the patterns of this world. It rather seeks to be conformed more and more into the image of Jesus Christ the Son. The word transformed in verse 2 is the, is the same word used in 2 Corinthians 3.19. <clears throat> it's the same idea that we are to be transformed into the image of Christ by the Spirit of the Lord. As we worship, we are becoming like the one we worship. And praise God for that. He's doing the work as we worship Him, as we are devoted to Him. So this whole chapter, in light of this call to not conform to the patterns of this world, is going to be countercultural, counterintuitive, commanding us to live in a way that we would be a worshipful, faith-filled community with one another. J.B. Phillips, a Bible translator, paraphrased Romans 12, 1 and 2 this way. He says, With eyes wide open to the mercies of God, 
I beg you, my brothers, as an act of intelligent worship, to give him your bodies as a living sacrifice, consecrated to him and acceptable by him. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold, but let God remold your minds from within. I love that picture that we are not to be squeezed into the molds of this world, but we are being remolded, reshaped, transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. So we're going to spend time in verses 9 through 18. I'd encourage you to spend time in the entire chapter, especially for those of you who are in community groups, that those in-between verses that we're not looking at today are some great encouragement as, to, as it relates to serving, as it relates to how we are to view ourselves. So verses 9 through 18 in the CSB translation says this, Let love be without hypocrisy. Detest evil. Cling to what is good. Love one another deeply as brothers, brothers and sisters outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lack diligence in zeal. Be fervent in the spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be persistent in prayer. Share with the saints in their needs. Pursue hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Give careful thought to what, careful thought to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So Paul is painting a picture here of how our community of, of faith, how we worship, and one way that we worship as it relates to how we relate to one another. How can they actively reject the patterns of this world and live in light of the mercies of God? And he's saying, verses 9 through 18, here are some examples. So for us this morning, what I'd like to do to help us get a growing understanding of that worshipful community is to teach through this twice. The first time through, I want to paint an opposite picture. A picture of life and community that, that actually conforms to the patterns of this world, uh, a similar spirit as the screw tape letters of C.S. Lewis. So this next part of the me message will sound completely counter to the passage that we just read. That's the point. So please, don't take this off the video and then put it onto Twitter or something. It's not going to go well for me, all right? So see it in the context of this 35-minute time. My hope is that it, exp it exposes how we've slipped into thinking and being molded into this pattern of this world. A world that is addicted to the worship of self and sin. A world that, that lives for itself. In a community that would be conformed to this age, in the self-centered patterns of this world, the description would sound more like this. Let love be hypocritical. A love that pretends to love others but it's simply just putting on a mask that expresses love outwardly, but is ultimately indifferent inwardly. So don't let your love be genuine. Don't let it be honest. Just play to the crowd that you're with and then simply choose another mask when the crowd or person that you're with changes. And in doing so, conform to the patterns of this world. Cling to what is evil. Detest what is good. So when you see this hypocritical, actor-like, 
love within you, be okay with that. Don't repent. Just say to yourself, well, that's, this is who I am. I don't, I don't have to change. I don't want to change. Live a life that straddles the fence, that lives this life that says, I'm okay with ongoing sin in my life over here as long as, as, long as no one else knows about it. And in doing so, conform to the patterns of this world. Love one another as much as it is obligated of you. I mean, just try to hit the bare minimum. And those brothers and sisters who are not like you, who you disagree with, who grind at your nerves, who have sinned against you, cut them out. Cut them out of your life. In fact, let's not use the word love. Let's just say we're, we're going to tolerate one another. Let's not see believers around us as siblings because that picture would demand too much of us and in doing so conform to the patterns of this world. I'm leaving the scripture on the screen for a reason. And when it comes to honor, only honor those who honor you first. Only reciprocate love and honor, but never, in, never initiate because life is ultimately about you and me. It's me, myself, and I. The goal is hypocritical and disingenuous love. So just throw some words around when necessary. But don't put any action behind them. Don't follow through. Don't follow up. Don't find ways to honor and encourage others. Again, the goal is to get others to honor and encourage you because it's about you, right? It's about you. It should always be about you and in doing so, conform to the patterns of this world. Be apathetic in your faith and walk with the Lord. You made a decision for the Lord back then, age 5, age 15, age 35. So, so you don't have to be persistent or intentional or disciplined in your faith. You can just be lukewarm. As long as you're a wee bit warmer than those people around you, that's enough bare minimum. So just attend a Sunday service once in a while. But when it comes to the other six days of the week, look to serve yourself. Make sure your calendar and your money, they serve you. Don't be concerned about growing in your understanding of the living word of God or talking to your Father in heaven in prayer. Be apathetic and in doing so conform to the patterns of this world. And when you hit trials or tests in life, don't rejoice. Don't be a person of hope. Don't be patient or persistent, but be hopeless and assume that God's eternal character has somehow changed as it relates to your life. That He's forsaken you. So be haphazard and inconsistent in talking to your Father in heaven through prayer and in doing so conform to the patterns of this world. And when it comes to th the stuff you own, listen, you're the owner. So don't share. Don't be generous. And if you feel like you need to keep up with appearances and that hypocritical love, then just give the bare minimum. When you see fellow believers in need, expect someone else will take care of that need. Or the government will take care of that need. Or the church will take care of that need. But don't see yourself as a part of the church who is the Lord has orchestrated and ordained to meet that need and in doing so conform to the patterns of the world. And not just your stuff, but your house, your apartment. That's your castle. That's your domain. So don't invite others over. Don't welcome others. When you look at your calendar, don't look for opportunities for fellowship or hospitality. Don't see your house as a, as a place for ministry and mission because ministry and mission only happen here. They only happen here on these seven acres and within these four walls and in doing so, conform to the patterns of the world.
And when a believer hurts you, attacks you, and sins against you, intentionally or unintentionally, they fail you. Turn around and slander their character. Slander their name, because that's one way you can get back at them. Speak poorly of their name. Curse their name. They hurt you, so why would you ever bless them? Why would you ever love them? And when someone receives a blessing, be envious of that. Don't rejoice. Why did they get that job? Why did they get that house? Why did they get that scholarship? How do good things come their way and not my way? Be jealous of that. Hold people at arm's length, especially when they are grieving. Because you might say something wrong, you don't know what to say. And so just assume someone else will comfort them. Someone else will be physically present with them and prayerful with them. Simply settle for a social media connection that, again, just keeps people at arm's length. And in doing so, conform to the patterns of this world. And be okay with division and disunity and disharmony. Be proud. Make every relationship about you. Be self-righteous and forget how desperate you are in need of the Lord's grace in your life. You're better than they are. You're less in need of the mercies of God than they are. And when evil is done to you, then return it with evil. Because why would you be obligated to do anything other than that? Why would you want to love your enemies or bless those who persecute you or pray for those who have done evil to you and in doing so conform to the patterns of this world? And finally, when you're in conflict with someone, when you're not at peace, wait on them to go first. That will really feed your pride as you sit there and wait. If they want to reconcile, if they want to make right, then they're welcome to come to you. But until then, you just sit. Don't, t- don't take action. Don't initiate. Don't be persistent in prayer. Don't seek harmony. It's on them to make the first move. And in doing so, we conform to the patterns of this world. The enemy would love for us to think that our love is to be passive, indifferent, selfish, and hypocritical. And if it is, then we conform to the patterns of this world. And we are not a worshipful community. We are a world matching, aligning community. But, brothers and sisters, dear ones, we've received the mercies of God. In light of the mercies of God, in light of how greatly He has loved us and shown us how to love, we must walk in a new way. By the grace of God, a way that seeks a growing conformity to Christ rather than this world a way that wholeheartedly rejects the seven or eight minutes of lies that I just spewed out. So how does a worshipful community live? Second time through. Verse 9, let love be without hypocrisy. So let your love be genuine. That's the overarching theme in this section. Here's how genuine Love that is not two-faced, how, this is how it walks in the light of Christ and how it responds. Here's how it acts. A love without masks, a love that is true. It is a love that isn't to put on a show, but it's, it's to put on the likeness of Christ. It's a love in action because a love with no action is no love at all. Detest evil, cling to what is good, a love that doesn't tolerate evil but rather like glue. That's the idea in the Greek. That we're going to stick to what is good. 
that we will detest it when we see pride and selfishness and favoritism and revenge and bitterness in our life, that we will detest how our flesh wants to rule and we will instead be stuck like glue. We will cling to the actions of of humility and selflessness and generosity and servanthood. We will cling to the Spirit and be led by the Spirit of God. And in doing so, we will present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters outdo one another in showing honor. So we will seek to have a tender affection within the family of God, a warm affection toward brothers and sisters in the Lord, so when we, see, when we don't see a brother or sister for a while, when we miss them, when the Spirit brings them to mind, we will pursue them. We will reach out to them. We'll express that. We'll pursue them. We will see life in the family of God as, as moments of opportunity where we can show honor to one another. And we're going to lead the way on this. We won't wait on others to go first. We'll initiate because genuine Christ-like love is action-oriented. We'll ask, how can we honor them? How, how can we show them love? Long before we ask, why are they not honoring me? Why are they not loving me? So we're going to walk into community group and into the Sunday gathering, into hype, into all these opportunities, and, and we're going to say, who can I honor today? Who can I build up with my words of grace? Who can I love with action and in doing so, we present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Verse 11, do not lack diligence and zeal. Be fervent in the Spirit. Serve the Lord. So we're going to seek to be on fire for the Lord. And we'll trust the Spirit is able to give strength to us as we love, as we serve. The Spirit is able to fan into flames even if it feels like it's barely burning. So we're going to ask the Lord to grow us in the spirit of self-discipline and diligence. We're going to get up in the morning and say, Lord, I want to serve you today. I want to give you my life because all of my life is worship. And when we see things in our hearts, when we see that lacking or waning, which we've all been there, some of us are there right now, when we see that fire, like, is it even burning? We're going to go to prayer because that's what Romans 12 instructs us to. Because we know that we're dependent upon the Spirit in all times and all ways. We're never going to stop being in need of His grace and power and loved ones. He's never going to stop being faithful in giving us and empowering us with that grace and with that power through His Spirit. Verse 12, rejoice in hope, be, be patient in affliction, be persistent in prayer. We're going to rejoice in hope, not simply in the results or become hopeless when the results don't match what we think they should match. Even in the face of affliction and suffering, we're going to be patient because our Father who has adopted us has not forsaken us. So we'll be persistent in prayer because our Heavenly Father is there and He's invited us, called us, brought us into relationship with Him, a relationship that finds its foundation in prayer. And in doing so, we present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Verse 13, share with the saints in their needs, pursue hospitality. So we won't see our possessions as our own, but rather the Lord's. Every good and perfect gift has come down from the Father above. So we're going to find ways to share with others and 
in the ways the Lord has blessed us. We won't see money as our own, nor our house or our apartment as our own. Notice the verb pursue. This is not a reluctant or simply a reciprocating. This is a love that goes first. When you pursue hospitality, you're the one inviting and welcoming and pulling people in saying, can we get dessert? You want to come over? You want to have a fire? You want to go out for coffee? You're the one initiating, and in doing so, we present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Verse 14, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. To bless means to speak well of a person, to eulogize, to show self-control, to speak graciously even when you've been hurt, to wish someone well and to pray for them. Verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. You know what increases our joy and decreases our sorrow? When we have brothers and sisters who we are rejoicing with and we are grieving with. When we don't do that in isolation, but we do that with one another. Brothers and sisters, not at arm's length, but physically present and actively prayerful in our lives. I've been alongside brothers and sisters in both seasons of rejoicing and weeping. You and I cannot do that through a screen. You and I cannot do that with comments on social media and leave it at that. We have to be present. We have to be near. It requires hospitality. It requires a depth of relationship that can't be achieved with just an hour on a Sunday. We must both welcome others into our rejoicing and our weeping and be present with them and theirs. And in doing so, we present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to Him. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. The Father, Son, and Spirit are one. One God, three persons. There is harmony there, unity. We are to reflect that as His people. And when we're seeking to live in harmony with one another, our pride has to be checked at the door. You and I have to clothe ourselves with Jesus-like humility that understands that we all woke up this morning in desperate need of His grace. Verse 17, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Give careful thought to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. Remember the picture here. It is not conformity to the world, our own flesh, or the lies of the enemy. It is conformity to Christ and Christ himself taught in this way. The Beatitudes, Matthew 5, he said this, starting in verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. And then Jesus, your Lord and Savior, says, You are blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice, he says, because your reward is great in heaven, for that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This whole picture that Paul is painting in Romans 12 
is the same picture that Jesus is painting there. It's counterintuitive, countercultural, but we are citizens of heaven, still called to be among this earth. So it should be countercultural. It should be counterintuitive because we are going the other way, up the stream. This is how Jesus lived. We see that on grand display on the cross when he says, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing, not repaying anyone evil for evil. And in doing so, we present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to him. Verse 18, if possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. We can't force others to change. None of us have the power, no matter how skilled you are, none of us have the supernatural power to transform the human heart, including our own. But the triune God does. He does have the power. He is faithful to bring about transformation, a shaping in others' hearts. Our role is to not allow others' actions to force us into a pattern of this world such as hatred, bitterness, or slander. We reject conforming to that. Our, de our desire is to be peacemakers as the Spirit leads because as we pursue peace, as we pursue reconciliation, even if it doesn't occur, we bring glory to the Prince of Peace who we worship and who we love and who we are devoted to, who loved us first. If the worship team could come up. As God's people, we are to be a counter-cultural people. Because we've been made new, we've experienced His mercies, may our life in community be marked by this worshipful spirit before the Lord. And as a way of life, may we present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to Him. Lord, we are grateful for Your mercies in our lives. We are reminded through this passage of how faithful You've been to us, God, thank you that you first loved us. Thank you that you pursued us. Thank you that you have saved us, not because of our own doing, our own merit, but all because of grace. I pray for us as citizens of heaven, as brothers and sisters in Christ, that we would worship you well in how we love one another and how we live out the one another's in, in the New Testament, let alone in this passage. I pray that you would help us Spur us on to be a people who would glorify you, exalt you as a way of life, that we wouldn't segment that our worship to you as, as simply parts of our life, but it would be all of, all of life, including our fellowship with one another, the family that we enjoy here, the body that you have called us to be a part of. Thank you for being our chief shepherd. Thank you for, for being the vine that we remain connected to. And as we do, that we will bear much fruit for your glory, for your name's sake. Be exalted. Do great things in and through this family of faith as we love one another. We pray this in your name. Amen. Acts 2, starting in verse 42, describes life in the local church. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held everything in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as they had need. Every day they devote, devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple 
and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. May the same be said of life here at Crosspoint. May the Lord use our worshipful community for His glory and for His mission in the coming years.